Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, God, for the opportunity to speak your word. Lord, we come to you as humble servants tonight, Lord, to worship your name and to proclaim your name, that you are the first Noel, the Savior, the Redeemer of this world. If we only recognize you tonight, Father, Lord, that we not just take Sunday morning and Sunday night, but that we continue throughout the week and we proclaim that glory in the highest on earth, peace, good, will towards men. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts. Lord, that we can be soaking up your word, that we can regurgitate it out to the world, Father God. That we may be good examples, good image bearers for you and your name and your kingdom, God. Lord, we thank you and Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's very important, I think it's very interesting, especially uh, uh, people that uh, are kind of in mu music, to learn a little bit about uh, hymn history. Now, uh, the hymn, My Jesus As Thou Wilt, was written by Benjamin, I'm going to butcher this, it's a German name, but Schmolke, uh, and is based on Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Now, this song, My Jesus As Thou Wilt, it resonates with Mark chapter 14. And we can hear its heart throb in every line of its, of its uh, verse. Now, Schmokey's hometown was nearly destroyed by fire. And along with that fire, along with his two children as well. So we know that within this man's life, you, you can see that he dealt with some troublesome times, that he has dealt with a hard hand, and he has dealt with things that it would seem almost impossible to overcome, but yet, what did he say in the end? He says, my Jesus, as thou wilt. And later he wrote the hymn, my Jesus, as thou wilt. Oh my, thy will be mine, and to thy hand of love I would my all resign. Through sorrow or through joy, conduct me as thine own. And help me still to say, my Lord, thy will be done. I think it's very important for us as to Christians to recognize that God's will is sovereign. God's will is perfect. And we need to have faith and we need to trust in God's perfect will. Now, tonight's message is, uh, if you want to title it, it's called Bracing God's Plan. Embracing what God has in store. Now go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we'll be going through the story. I think that some of y'all have, uh, have read the story that uh, uh, Pentecostals might like me. This is where we can dance in the church. But no, this, this is a story of where David is presented the Ark of the Covenant to return back to Jerusalem. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, a little bit of history here. So we all know the history of David. David was the guy that slew Goliath. Goliath being a champion for the Philistines. Now, being a champion of the Philistines, and David, just a little small shepherd boy, killed this great champion. And what did that tend to do for the uh, Philistines and the Philistinian people? Well, obviously, it made them upset. It made them angry. And so what ended up happening is that the Philistines hated David so much that they had a bounty on his head. They chased him throughout all the, the land of Judea, and they purposely wanted to kill David because, they, because he slew their great champion. So just think about it, as, as David, this is now past that Saul has died and David is now king, that David is still being pursued, David is still in battle, in conflict, being chased by the Philistines. 
So at this time, before we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that Saul has died, and the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God, where they have the sacrifices and where the, 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 the judgment and the perfect manifestation of God is residing on earth. The Ark of the Covenant is not in Jerusalem. It is in a different place. And God told David to go get his mercy seat and to bring it home. This was God's plan. This was the plan that God intended David to do. So starting in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to, of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, drove the cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Aho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord all and on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nishon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand in the ark of God and took hold of it, and the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there, therefore, his error, and there he died by the Ark of the Covenant. So we know that the Ark of the Covenant is the physical representation, and if you look and you study the Ark of the Covenant, it is the, uh, the mercy seat of God, and it is a representation, a Jesus type, for the upcoming uh, prophecy of Jesus coming down on earth and the sacrifice of the world and the sacrifice of God's people upon the mercy seat. So we know that the Ark of the Covenant is a very significant and a very important part of the Israelite culture and the Israelite religion, and even for us today, it's, it's, it's important to study and to look of the Hebrew nation and the Ark of the Covenant. So they placed uh, sacrifices on the Ark. They did oxen and sheep and cattle and all these things. They sacrificed and they, they, they brought offerings to the Ark of the Covenant. And this place that the, the Ark of the Covenant was at was not where God wanted it to be. But God's plan was to move it back to Jerusalem. Now back to the chosen people. Why did God want the Ark of the Covenant go back home? Why did God want the Ark of the Covenant to go back to Jerusalem? He wanted to unify the people. He wanted to go back to where he saw the best way that he can bring Jesus into the world. He saw the way that redemption can become for all of mankind. And he said, I will do this and I can do this if I can unify my people and bring them together to my mercy seat. Through the great judgment, through the great seat where we can sacrifice and we can forgive sins amongst the seat of God. And David, he gathered 3,000 men and he gathered them up and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they gathered him up. And just note, let me tell you the, the importance, the why it's important to know a little bit of context between, the, uh, between David and the, and the Philistines. David, being chased by the Philistines, wanted to get the cart as quick as he could to Jerusalem. I'd be scared too. If someone was chasing me and I was in constant battle and conflict, I'd be scared and try to get it there the best way that I can. So David, what does he do? That he takes this cart and he places, he, he places the ark upon a cart. 
Now, when God's plan is shown to us, we need to have enough faith to let God's plan be ours. This is the key thing, one of the key ingredients when we read the scripture, when we read this section of, of David's life, that we need to trust what God says, even if we want to do our own thing. That's very important. Because God, in Exodus chapter 25, God had perimeters of how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. He tells us to put, he, he says to put rods on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. He says you need to get Levi priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant by hand and walk it to where the destination, where the tent may reside so that I can go and dwell with my people. But David, being scared and being afraid of the Philistines and doing things in his own will, decided to place it on a cart pulled by oxen. He went outside of God's parameters. He went outside of God's will and chose to do his own thing. God's plan has a purpose. We don't understand it a lot of times, and a lot of times we read what God has in store for us, and a lot of times when we pray to God and we, we ask for God's will to be done, and God tells us to do something, we feel that draw to missions, we feel that draw to preaching, teaching, to witnessing, to whatever the case may be, to doing God and being within God's will. It doesn't make sense. It, we don't want to do it because it's scary to us, because we're being chased by something, because we are in conflict with something. And if we don't do what God says to do, we are going to reach defense feet. We're going to reach a point that we're going against what God says and there's going to be some kind of, of, of trial or some kind of thing that will not be beneficial for us. And here we see this plan that goes afall. Now when I first started being a, a, a paramedic or an EMS, when I started getting into EMS uh, I, I worked as much as I could uh, you know, trying to get my name and get my foot in the door. You know, I said yes to every shift, and I was working. I think they, they stopped doing it, but it was because it was very dangerous. But uh, I was working like 48 hours straight at times. Very dangerous. They don't do it no more because people were basically driving asleep and wondering how in the world did I get to Nashville. But that's not safe. But anyways, when I was picking up shifts, and I was doing this, and I was doing that, and I worked a, uh, a day shift, and I had enough time that I was going to go home, get dressed, and or change and get dressed and I was going to take a little cat nap on the on the on the couch so I decided to well I lost track of time and uh, I lived in Coopville and I had to get to Baxter two minutes ago so I'm late for work so me being a new employee I don't want to be late for work and I'm driving as fast as I can and I don't know how in the world I didn't get in a wreck but I was driving through Coopville and I drove down uh, 70 and hit Baxter and, and I got right into the city limits of Baxter I was thinking I'm home free I'm almost here for work I called my coworker and said I'm about there I'm about there then all of a sudden whoop, whoop. Oh, I'm right there right there in the Baxter city limits and I see a cop car right behind me I was thinking man I've, I got my uniform on I got my e-tags I'm not going to get a ticket well, he pulls me over and says, you know how fast you were going? I'm like, fast enough. He said, you were going 60 and a 30. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. But needless to say, I did get a ticket. I, I, my goodness. We're supposed to help each other out, right? I, I got a ticket. But I paid that ticket. But in all the midst of running so fast, even though I thought in my right mind, I was thinking, I got to get to work. I got to do my job. I, I'm, I'm going to help people. I'm going to help save people. Uh, I'm going to do CPR. I'm going to do all these things. In the midst of doing, trying to do something good, trying to do something that I thought was, was, was right in my eyes, that I decided to break the law by speeding and going above the speed limit, way above that was, was dangerous to me and myself, I got two people with me, I guess. Me and the people around me and the, and the people in other vehicles. 
It's dangerous because I decided to do what I thought was right. Now we see that Uzzah, this man Uzzah, they had the Ark of the Covenant upon this, this, this cart pulled by oxen. They're trying to get to Jerusalem the way that David thought was best to go to Jerusalem. And this man Uzzah, being a priest of Levi, a designated man to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. But it says in verse, uh, verses 6 through 8, it says that, that when the oxen stumbled and the cart began to fall, that this man Uzzah began to reach up to stop the cart from falling upon the ground. And all of a sudden, because he touched it, God struck him dead. God struck him dead. Why? First off, the question is, why did he touch the cart? Because they decided to go and do it his own way, because it would be a lot more sturdier if you had men carrying it. And two, the big question arises, why did he die? Why, he was trying to help the Ark of the Covenant. He was trying to help the mercy seat, a very important part of the nation of Israel. Why was he struck dead? We have to understand that God's righteousness, God's judgment, and God's goodness cannot be obtained, and we cannot see the face of God on our own. The same thing applies here. The power of God in this Ark of the Covenant, the power that is brought upon the, the nation of Israel because this Ark of the Covenant is too strong for any man to, can handle. Can you see that the resemblance between Jesus and the ark, that there's the, the ark of the covenant and Jesus, there, there is something so powerful about the blood and something so powerful about the name of Jesus that no man of myself can do what he did. It's too powerful, too, it's too strong and too much of a burden for me to bear. Only Jesus could do it, and only the ark is so powerful. And, we got, and, and, and no man can be in the presence of God without the mercy and grace of Jesus. In Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 4, it makes mention that who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And I think this is a psalm that David wrote even after this event. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. And then in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, I think that we've all heard this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable. And who can understand it? Our selfish hearts and our deceitful ways, the heart of man is most corrupt. We cannot see the face of God on our own. We cannot come to church without the grace of God, without the blood applied. We cannot do the things in the glory of God on our own. We cannot be saved and reach eternal glory without the blood of Jesus. We are sinful, but he is righteous. God's plan is perfected through his word. And if we don't seek and follow that path that he leads to, it's going to lead to destruction. I don't think hell is talked enough much about in, in, in church anymore, but yet it's an important thing to discuss. It's a real thing. A destruction of, of being separated from God is one of the scariest things that I can ever imagine when I am, am, and I'm torn and I'm distraught in my life, the one thing that I know that is insecurity is my faith and trust in God and what he knows and what he knows will be good for me in my life. If I only trust and believe in him. The plan and the, you know, of God's grace and mercy even continues 
2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 8, the story goes on that after Uzzah died, what does it say about David? How does David respond to this? And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach. He took upon Uzzah. He, he, Uzzah died, and he called the name the place Para-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. He did not take the, the ark to the city of David. He did not take it to Jerusalem, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now we see that a couple of responses that, God, that David had to this incident, that because of his sin, because of his disobedience to God, a result happened, something happened. He first responded to God with anger. In verse 8, what does it say? That, he, that he, uh, David was displeased with God. A lot of times when, our, when we walk through our, our faith and we walk through uh, the walk of life, especially as Christians, we think that, that, that if we listen to God, we obey God, and we trust in what his word says, and we do all these things, we meet all the benchmarks, that everything is going to go to, according to plan. But sometimes there's just that thorn in the flesh. Sometimes there's those obstacles. Sometimes those plans do not plan out. And sometimes it just seems like nothing goes right. Nothing goes right. And a lot of times, us as believers, especially us as believers, I've seen this in the church, and I've even seen this within my own life, that we become angry with God. We accuse God that it's his fault. Why would you lead me down this path? Why would you allow me to do this? And we become so obsessed by saying, God, it is your fault that I am here right now in this situation. It's your fault, God. We become so angry with God that we, be, we, we lose sight to the whole picture that he has in store for us. We lose sight for the whole picture of what God has in store for the church that we become so angry at him that we, we, begin, we, we, we begin to exclude and move away the love of Jesus Christ from our lives. When God's plan doesn't align with ours, a lot of times we just get so angry. We demand God's will be, to be done. We put God on our timetable instead of allowing us to be parallel and to be within his timetable. And a lot of times that when we do say this and we say, God, I want you to do this in my life. God, I demand that you be here right now with me. God, you are going to show up here. God, you are going to do this. You're putting a test upon him. A test upon God. What is a test? I looked up the definition of what a test is, and it is a trial to assess one's quality and one's ability. I don't think there's nothing to test about God. That God's ability is far greater than mine. God's quality is far greater than mine. What does a football team, what do they do to get the best players, to get the best uh, capable and, 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 and willing and strong and, and enduring players to win the game? They do tests and they do tests and they do all these things. And this is what God does for us because we, we are weak and we are folly. God can test us, but we dare not test God. I believe there's a portion in Scripture that God got, got irritated with the Israelites and said, I dare you, I test you to outgive me. We need to make sure that we do not get angry with God and test him. And we make sure that we do not demand of God to show up, but be ready for when he does. 
Not only did David get angry with God, but a lot of times that our response is we respond with fear. A lot of times when God shows up within our lives and one of the scary one of the, the one of the scariest prayers that I think that a Christian can pray is, Lord, let your will be done, because you're just opening a door for a lot of things. But yet it's important. If you want God's kingdom to grow, if you want the if you want to see this world changed by the love of Christ, your will be done, God. Your will be done, Christ. But a lot of times that will that we that He tells us to do something, it puts a fear in us. It scares us half to, de- half to death. Verses 9 through, nine through t- 11. David was afraid. And how shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? David was thinking, that he, he became afraid now that, he, that God stroke Uzzah. And, and he says, how can I, the king, hold the ark of the covenant? How can, can I, a man, hold the ark of the covenant? And I think that's so fitting that me as a Christian, sometimes when I pray and I seek the Lord's will and I, and I read scripture, I see that. I was like, Lord, how can your mercy shed upon me? I read the word of God and, I, and I'm like David. It's like, how can you forgive me for the things that I have done? David felt unworthy and what did he end up doing? He took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in Obed-Edom's house and decided not to take it to the, to, to, to the city of David. Because of David's fear, he did not follow through. He stopped halfway at Obed-Edom's house. He did not follow through. And a lot of times as Christians, we get afraid. We get scared of what someone might say. We get scared of what God may ask us to do. That is something far, far scarier than, than, than anything that we've ever done before. And it's like, God, I can't do that. That, that that's, that's fit for someone else. God, I can't say that. There's someone that can speak more eloquently than I can. God, I can't do any of these things. And we become like David and we don't allow the Ark of the Covenant, the blood of Christ, to run through us and to bless us. We become scared. We need to realize that God's plan works with or without us. In verse 10, it continues to say, So David would not remove the Ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the Ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. David realized his sinfulness and his disobedience later on in verse 12, and it was told that King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God into the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. David realized that his sinfulness and his disobedience was causing a a, a roadblock in his his worship with God. He realized that because he did not obey what the Lord had told him to do, because he did not uh, follow through with with the command, the will of God, someone else was getting that blessing. We do not need to be afraid of what God has told us to do. And God's will will be done. If, if I don't do the thing that God tells me to do, he's going to call somebody else. And I've missed out on something. I've missed out on, on a good blessing from the Lord. We don't need to be afraid of what, the God, what, what God is telling us to do. 
God doesn't need us to, 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 to finish his will, but he desires to use us. God will receive glory one way or another, either through Obed-Edom, through David, through Tanner, through Mike, through Cecil. But David was thinking that God was so powerful and so magnificent that he could not even be near God. But then he chose, he decided that it was better to do this and to, get, to be in God's presence and to, to receive the blessings of God than to do my own thing. David decided to no longer follow his will, but decided to be in the presence of God. Let me read verse 12 again. And it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of the God, ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now verse 13. And it was so that when they they bear the ark of the Lord, had gotten six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, uh, let's not read that verse, but so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So David... He pursues God's will and he grabs the ark and he's taken, to the, he's taken it to Jerusalem. He doesn't get six paces. He doesn't get six feet away. And what is his first thing that he does? He offers blessings and sacrifices to God and starts singing praises to God. What does that tell me? What does that tell me as a servant of God, as someone that is just like David and is doing something for the will of God? When God tells me to do something, one of the first things that I, I need to do, I need to be on my knees, I need to be on my feet, anywhere that I am, I need to be giving praises to God, giving blessings to God, that glory in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Just like the angels were giving a proclamation of Jesus coming as the Son of God, saying the glory to him. The same thing goes for us when we are within God's will and we step out before we do anything, continuously giving praises to God, then he will get the glory in the end. He will always get the glory, but we need to be within that glory to give it to him. And he began to sacrifice and he began to do pricely sacrifices of fatted calves and, and oxen. And it said that David stripped down to an ephod and an ephod, if you look up in, in, the Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, that it is an apron-like garment that is worn by priests and kings, only by priests and kings. And they would wear this to make a request to God, to talk with God. So David, he takes everything off. He strips himself of physical and spiritual things and places the ephod on and says, God, I am putting this on so that I, that I can approach you, that I can talk with you, so that I can give praises to you, almighty God. This is what we need to do. 
This is an example for us as believers. is to strip every physical thing down, to strip all our worldly possessions, to strip all of our, uh, our mental and our spiritual enticements that are, are burning us and go before the foot of the cross and to go to Jesus and say, I am within your will. I will give you praises no matter what the cause. In Romans 8, 28, that all things work for the glory of God to them that love him are called according to his purpose. And all things... Strip everything away. Approach the mercy seat of God and start giving praises. David gave everything he had. He gave his energy. He started dancing. How scared would that be if someone started dancing here tonight? But spiritually, physically, do something at the, at the very moment of the Holy Spirit will draw you to do something for him. We need to not be afraid to give everything we got to him. He gave himself up all for the sake of God's plan. Putting aside the possibility of fighting the Philistines and being going at a slower pace. There's nowhere safer than being in the presence of God. I believe one of the peaceful times in my life is when I'm praying, when I'm reading scripture, I'm meditating on God's word, is when I'm f- I truly feel safe. And I believe that if we as a church, as as you as an individual, as us as a community, I believe if we truly seek God's will and remove all attachments and we say that, Lord, this is your will, this is not mine, I truly believe that God, just like God does with the Ark of the Covenant and the the Israelites, that he will bless his nation. He will bless the kingdom of God if we only do and we have the, 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 the characteristics of David. And he led, and what did David do after praising God and after David started singing worship and after David approached God and in verse 15 it says that he he led the nation in worship us as believers we are examples to our brethren and also to the world we are different but yet when we become different we, we, we do not need to approach the world as enemies We need to see them as potential servants. I'm sure as David was going down the road uh, uh, to Jerusalem, I'm sure some of these people that were were watching him, you're crazy. And later on we see that one of his wives, which I'm not going to read it, but one of his wives started cursing him because, you fool, you dancing in in the streets half naked. A lot of things that we do as Christians today, a lot of people can say, you fool. You're doing a lot of things that are foolish. It doesn't make a lick of sense. But all for the glory of God, it shouldn't matter. If we just give him praise, if we give him glory, God will bless it. If we only, if, if us as individuals and us as a body of church, if we only pursue his will and not our own, and we seek what he desires... And put him at the head of it all and give him glory. God will bless it. God will bless it. Bow your heads.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, to read your word and to, to apply your word to our lives so that, Lord, that we can continue our walk with you, Lord, that we can continue to be uh, steadfast servants and not be afraid and not have uh, anger towards you and towards others, but, Lord, that we be steadfast and strong for the glory of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we do everything that is right by you, Lord, that we live holy lives, Lord, according to your son, Jesus. Lord, allow your name to be praised through our actions, Lord, that we bear your image, that we bear your name with pride and we not be afraid. Speak with boldness and gladness. And Lord, we thank you and Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.